Hello, and welcome to the Slap Plus segment of the Slate Culture Gab Fest. Our topic this week is somber and a little bit inchoate. Uh, we were discussing, of course, as we were planning for this week's episode, the big news at the end of last week, uh, three separate incidents around the country, one of a man being shot point blank by the police in Baton Rouge, the other, the Facebook Live video that showed the death of Philando Castile in Minnesota, who was shot by a police officer during a traffic stop, um, and then who died on camera in a video that now millions of people have watched. And then finally, the sniper attack on police officers in Dallas that resulted in the deaths of five of them, uh, and then eventually the death of the shooter uh, on Thursday evening of last week. And as Zaina described during her endorsement, this concatenation of events, I think, left many people who read the news feeling just incredibly disheartened and dismayed about what kind of country we live in and what sorts of things happen here and the impossibility of productive change or conversation about those things um, and also left us puzzling a bit about how we perceive that news and how that's changing uh, given the kinds of technologies that we're used to broadcast it. But Dana, you shared an article uh, with us with the radical proposition that that watching the news is bad for you, which uh, given my job, I don't, I can't possibly believe. <laughs> but I'm curious to hear you explain a little bit what that argument was and and um, why it spoke to you in some ways. Yeah, this well, this was just something that was being circulated the night. I'm not sure if it was the night of the the police shootings or the previous couple of nights where we kept having horrible news about, you know, there were there was an article from The Guardian being circulated from a few years ago. This is not a recent article whose premise is that news is bad for you, that that watching the news in the way that we do as ever screen refreshing news junkies is is essentially a form of addiction and that people are much, much happier when they disconnect from that level of, of of involvement in current events. And to me at the time, and that might have been the very night that I was trying to steal myself to get out of my lonely hotel room and off to the Afghan kebab house, I think that made a lot of sense to me. And I felt like, at least for me right now, this is true. I need to disconnect and and, and have some time to gather my jangled nerves. And uh, I, I think in general, I would not make the argument that it's somehow healthy and wholesome for us not to know what's going on in our own country and in the world around us. I mean, it would be, it's, it would be too solipsistically Buddhist solution to just say I'm disconnecting from all news, but the the way the news was unrolling last week did make me feel like it, it it's a very traumatic thing to process all of that at the same time, and that everybody has to have their own way of doing it. I mean, one of the things I know that I do for myself, and this is just out of instinct, is that when there's something to click on, like the the Facebook live streaming video of Philando Castile shooting, I never click on it. If I can possibly avoid it, I don't watch footage of people dying, and it's it's not. It's not even for, for self-protection or something. It's just, it feels wrong to me. It feels like watching a snuff movie. I don't want to walk – I feel like I'm, I'm creating the culture of violence somehow if I'm one of the people watching that video. But I know that there are cases, for example, Diamond Reynolds' live streaming of, of her boyfriend's death where watching the video really matters. You're not just watching someone you're, – you're, you're watching a drama unfold and in that drama are um, – is the story of injustice that, is, that needs to be told, right? And I felt when that video was being talked about and passed around and analyzed that I should watch it and that I would watch it any minute, but I was never able to actually bring myself to click. Yeah, I have several reactions to that. I mean, first of all, I think it's easy in journalism to assume that everybody is consumed by the news all the time and many people are, but also many people aren't. One of, I think, the most striking things I remember in my career in journalism was the story of Jason Blair and the story of the details he fabricated about Jessica Lynch's family 
and how I think there was one detail where he described the like cornfields across from the porch of their house and there were no such cornfields and possibly there was no such porch or what it was just like a patently wrong detail but that it was easily uncovered after the fact but it was not called out by her family because they were just like oh well i guess that's what journalism is i guess that's what they do like that you know the 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 myopia of being in this business and feeling like everybody's as plugged into it as you are is one to always constantly be on guard for that said, I think there's a couple things going on with these videos of violence that both warrant their being watched but then not put on thoughtless loop. I, I think that these videos are going to prove to be a really powerful vector of change. And I maybe I'm just hopelessly naive, but I think the existence of these videos of police violence against black men or in the case of Tamir Rice, black children – uh, is changing the way that a really broad swath of people feel about how police forces relate to their communities. I mean, even after the Dallas shooting, like Newt Gingrich was giving us some kind of interview in which he said it's really important that we all understand how different it is for black citizens to relate to local police forces than white people. Like Newt Gingrich was saying that. I completely agree with you, Julia. I mean, yeah, I and, agree and that Paul I agree. Ryan. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, you know, and, and it, it, it's hard to know what to what degree that's a response to the videos, to what degree that's a response to the changing national conversation since Ferguson, to what degree um, that's a response to like Trump and wanting to set some kind of delimitation on how uh, conservatives and Republicans think and talk about race in the country. I don't know. But I, I, I do think that these videos are powerful. I also think the Facebook Live video, the Castile video is I, – I did watch it once. I won't watch it again. It's the thing that's really astonishing about it as compared to some of the other videos we've seen over the past few years is that most of the other videos where you're just shooting an event and then you – share the recording later in some context, that turns you into a cameraman. That turns you into like the the news night cameraman of whatever is happened and you it forces bystanders or in some cases people involved in the situation to have the presence of mind to press the record button and record. But um, Facebook Live turns you into the anchor man. So Castile's girlfriend, uh, Diamond Lavish Reynolds, was was sort of like narrating the situation as it happened in a way that it seemed both tactically designed to keep the officer from doing further harm to her and her family in the car, but also required this like level of distance from and presence about and sense for the audience of the incident that was unlike anything I've ever seen and um, haunting and astonishing and um, just terrifying, really. Um, and it gives you an even more powerful and strange sense of what it is like to be on one end of one of these fatal interactions between the police officers and and black citizens of the country. And so it's an imp incredibly important and powerful document of American life, I think. That said, I do think that the like the way TV news uses these images, the way websites use these images, the way the whole news media uses these images where I think there can be a kind of cavalierness about the gravity of what's happening in the videos when people replay and reuse the images and they become sort of totems or symbols or icons of like, this is the horrible thing that happened, like clip of person about to die or having just died um, that cheapens them and that gives me pause. 
I mean, I should I should mark that what I was saying about not being able to click on such videos and watch them is not in any way prescriptive. It's just descriptive of my own relationship to them. Mm-hmm. And I completely agree, Julia, that it's been social media and the ability to film things in real time and to get these images out to people who otherwise it, this would not enter into their worldview has been incredibly important in, in bringing this question of, of racial justice to the to the point that it's at right now. So so yeah, I don't know, Steve, what your relationship is to, to such videos, but yes, their existence on on the whole has been the exposure that they've provided has been a good thing. Uh, Dana, I come out almost exactly where you do. I, f- I find it Im- nearly impossible to watch them. I haven't watched the Alden Serling or the Philando Castile video. Um, I, you know, I think um, it's obviously it's hugely important that those videos exist to document these incidents um, and publicize them and, you know, overcome an enormous bias in the direction of denial you know, whether within law enforcement or generally in the culture, right? Um, I mean, this is a style of victimization um, that's been going on for <laughs> centuries. <laughs> and it's only because of the undeniable power, like, of documentary visual, you know, evidence that finally, you know, even the likes of Newt Gingrich and Paul Ryan are forced to acknowledge the discrepancies between how whites are policed and blacks are policed in America. Um, so that's huge. It's just, and I just think that you guys have kind of said it really beautifully. I mean, where do you draw the line between witness and voyeurism? And I think Julia is quite correct to point to, I mean, these images are just inevitably going to be used exploitatively by cable TV. They're going to be put on repeat. They're going to be sensationalized. And, um, and that's a shame, but I think that the, if that's the price that we have to pay in order to reverse, uh, uh, this cut awful trend, um, then then it's the price that you know then that that will pay. But I personally, exactly, it's totally descriptive, not prescriptive. I personally cannot watch a video of someone um, dying in that manner. The one thing I will say, a distinction that I make, and again, this is descriptive and not prescriptive, too, um, is I really try to think about the motive of the person who's made the video. So to me, the terrorism videos, the beheading videos that are that are propaganda, I won't watch. I mean, occasionally I need to watch them for the purposes of making a judgment call about what we do with them on slate. And so I watch what I need to watch. But as a as a pure news consumer, um, I think about that. You know, similarly, the the first person shooter video shot by the man who gunned down the news reporter in the middle of a live broadcast in Roanoke, Virginia. You know, I also felt like that was propagandistic in its own way. You know, on the other hand, even within making that distinction, like I do think, you know, sometimes I feel like it's a luxury to not not watch them, right? Like in some ways, maybe there's a duty to watch them and to make yourself aware of the kinds of things that can happen um, and, and that the decision... I don't know. You can really make the argument both sides, right? Is the decision to – is there a responsibility to bear witness when an event like this is recorded and to sort of say, look, I'm watching. I'm an American where however distant I am from whatever state or place this is, um, I'm watching. I'm watching this. It's not, It's all nice for us to say we can't bear it. Like maybe we should be watching them. On the other hand, like the way that these things are presented and it can feel very strange and alienating to say I'm going to click play now on this video of a death. I mean, I will say that the one, as I mentioned earlier, the, 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 the recent one that did make me feel like maybe I'm being irresponsible by not watching this was the Facebook live streaming because it did have this different, you know, this, this, this 
new way of using technology to, to expose injustice and also because it just it, but it just sounded I, I mean the only thing I can say is that the moment never came when I was able to watch it I read all about it believe me I listened and read and thought and cried all about that story that whole night that it broke but but especially with the description of the little girl comforting her mother from the back seat, I just I couldn't do it. If that makes me, you know, bourgeois ostrich with my head in the sand, I guess that's what I am. But I couldn't do it. Yeah, I agree. I mean, and and it sounds, Dana, like you enacted your responsibility, right? Which is reading and thinking about it. I don't I don't know that actually watching the video can be construed as a courageous act. I think it's just still, it, you know, for all the things one can do, including attending a march or, you know, I mean, whatever, I mean, voting a certain way, whatever. I mean, they're participatory, democratic, or, you know, civil, civilly disobedient ways to try to make the reality change that so supersede just clicking play on a video. I, I, I just don't see how one makes you a moral witness and one makes you an ostrich. Like, I, I just, I don't think it breaks down that way. And the fact of the video is documentary evidence that starts a conversation with a broader group than the group of people who watch the video. And so that's part of what that's part of what those videos do. Yeah, I guess there's no the answer. I mean, there's no one right way to relate to nonstop barrage of horrible events happening and, you know, feeling that that the country is dissolving around you. I mean, the last week was a very disturbing and alarming week in whatever way you you chose to to process it. I mean, I, I guess there's no one right way of, of dealing with news like the news of last week. It was just so traumatic and intense and nonstop that I think people just had to deal with it in whatever way they could. All right. Well, thank you guys for sharing your views on this. Uh, thank you, Slate Plus listeners and members, for supporting Slate and the work we do and for listening to this bonus segment of the Slate Culture Gab Fest. We'll talk to you next week.